KMNK Talk YA now presents Golden Sun, Part 2 of the Red Rising Trilogy by Pierce Brown. From MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our young adult fiction podcast. I changed up the beginning just a little I know. tiny bit. And you know what? My heart like skipped a beat. I know, that's what happens when you change <laughs> things. <laughs> now I know how it feels. I was like, wait, what podcast am I on? <laughs> <laughs> greetings. What planet are we on? Are we on Mars again? <laughs> that's what it sounded like. Like greetings from Earth. <laughs> It wasn't even that different, but it did feel like a big step for me. <laughs> God, I'm worried what you're going to do next week now. <laughs> oh, just you wait. You start speaking a different language or something? <laughs> Hola. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. we finished the second book in okay. the series, and... I finished it before you, and it was funny because you kept texting me, like, as you were reading, OMG, like, this happened, or can you believe? And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had some minor, like, panic attacks on when I was riding the L home from work about all the stuff that has been going on in the books. So can we talk about, like, the huge reveal that shocked me? Like, the very end? Yeah. Fishner. Yeah. We found out who Aries is, finally. Yep. It wasn't a girl, though. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so we found out Aries is was Fitchner all along, and yep. I was the thing that upset me the most. What I mean, I wasn't upset that he was that he was Aries, but I was upset with myself because I acted like a gold the entire time, and I completely underestimated him, just like everyone else, and it yeah. I, it, like, upset me so much because I was like, oh, my God, like, that's exactly how everyone treated Severo at the Institute. Like, everyone underestimates him and everyone underestimates Fitchner. And I did the exact same thing. And it never even occurred to me that he could be Aries. When he was telling the story about his wife and... Who was a red. That she was a red. Like, that's when I first started to be like, oh, he's actually, like, way more sympathetic to this cause. And he has, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I liked that it was still a disillusioned gold the entire time. So that mm. prediction was correct on our part. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah I, I just thought his whole backstory and... Okay, but I had a question. So Severo didn't know his mom was red? No, no, he, he like... So how young was he when his mom was killed? Because aren't... Oh, maybe he... Maybe he... Nah. I think he was a baby. No, I got the sense that he didn't know. But him and his dad were, like, off doing something, but I, I couldn't tell, like, how old he was, or... I don't think he knew, because I think there he said something like, I just found out that I was half-red. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he knew he knew the name of his mom, and I think that she was very young. I think that he had been, like, he was a baby still. Mm-hmm. Or a small child. And, um... And never saw pictures... That was also cool. <gasps> I like that he's half-red. I kind of want him to, like... I really do too. Become the new symbol for something because he really is more uh, like more of this new world kind of view, you know, being from both worlds actually, as opposed to being raised in one and 
staking it in another one. I bet he could become a symbol, um, like, if all goes down as planned and they get rid of the color system and somehow people are able to, you know, have relationships between colors, um, maybe he could be a symbol of that. But, oh, and just the way that his mom was just, like, disposed of so thoughtlessly, like... She, she, it wasn't even that she was killed. She was disposed. Yeah, again, I'm just I'm just so curious to hear. I would feel like that would be, like, gossip or, like, how did that not... Yeah, like, big news. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to repress it because they thought, like, they wanted to quell any kind of um, behavior like that, so they didn't publicly release it. Even Fitchner becoming a knight and stuff, you would think they would have done, like, a deep dive into his past, and that would have been, like, a... Oh, a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> a red flag. A red flag. <laughs> I agree. It, it it doesn't really add up unless he, maybe he was just really good at convincing them that he was on their side. I mean, the the well, he was. I mean, I believed it. But me too. Oh, yeah. I think it was f- interesting too like the only reason he blew his cover was because they were going to kill Darrow and he kept trying to convince them to just kidnap him or, um, you know, take him a prisoner instead of killing him. Yeah. Whew. Wow. I'm like, I'm still so shocked. <laughs> I'm kind of curious what his plan was. Well, I'm... You know? Like, why was he getting so close to her and why... Like, what was he planning to do? Slash, if he had given Darrow some heads up before, then maybe they could... I know. He shouldn't have kept him in the dark. That's, like, a big theme in this book, too, is, like... The importance of letting people in and not withholding information because it can come back and really stab you in the back. Yeah, although Pierce Brown is saying that, he's also doing that to the reader. I'm constantly in the dark. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait, Darrow had a secret plan and knew that, like, the what's her face was the sovereign was in the city that they're attacking? Like, oh, oh. I know. (laughs) And then acting like, and, and, and it's like he acts too, like he's doesn't know what he's doing when he knows what he's doing the entire time. And we just yeah. don't know what, what's in his mind. I feel a little like Roke at this point. Okay, except <laughs> Roke, whoa. Like, I knew he was upset, and I knew that was going to be a problem. Oh my gosh. But he couldn't have known the scale of the whole plan when he did that to Darrow, could he? I don't think so. I think, I don't. I don't think he knew what Darrow was going to do or what, I don't even think he knew what the Sons of Ares were going to do. I think he was just really hurt by Darrow and he wanted to hurt him. Or I think he, like, misunderstood Darrow and thought he was being selfish or, like, too big for his britches. But I don't even think he understood what the Jackal was, you know, like, I don't think he understood the extent to which... He couldn't have because I think everyone was leaving him in the dark. Like, he was really... He really is just being a pawn. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad. And it's sad, too, because, like... Roke was wanted to be one of his closest friends. Roke would have been such a good person to stay close to. He would have helped oh, yeah. Darrow so much. And first of all, he's good militarily. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he's like such an expert in the air or whatever. And he does have like a certain amount of wisdom that I think they sometimes lack. And he had, he showed a willingness to confide in him and bring out kind of the more human side of Darrow. Okay, so wait, can we talk about the end just for a second? Oh, well, oh, you mean when Fishner's head was in a box? Yeah, okay. (laughs) So that's at first where I thought we were going, and then I, like, 
Let's let's go back to there. No, but so oh. like half the group is dead. Yeah. Like Lauren, you know, our good friend Lauren, who we've our always good- cared about from the very beginning. <laughs> who we knew for a whole three seconds. <laughs> I was just starting to maybe like him. I couldn't decide, but uh um I like him. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I I still felt sad when he died because I was just like sad that we didn't get to see more of him. And the little bit that we did see was like you you, you did like him. All the adults are dead, though, kind of. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Aries was kind of an adult. Lauren was kind of an adult. And, Pliny. Um, and who? Pliny. Well, yeah, Pliny. But um, even uh, the, the arch governor. Yeah. yeah, let's just make a list. Let's, like, tally a list of all the people who are dead right now. It's basically everyone over the age of 25 that we knew, except the sovereign. <laughs> and, the, like, the, and, yeah, and, like, the carvers and, and you know, dancer and whatnot. Yeah. And the bad guys. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I, when Jackal shot, shot him in the head, that was shocking. Except I'm kind of gl- like that part. I was like, that seems like Jackal. I'm kind of confused what his play is right now. Why would he side with? Like, I I understand turning on his dad, and I understand turning on Darrow, but I kind of mm-hmm. feel like it was a little premature. Yeah. Like, what what is he hoping to get from the Sovereign? Unless it was just unless he just wants Mars, and it was like. Have Darrow defeat the rest of Mars and then take over. I guess that might be it. But maybe he just saw that Darrow was weak, so he knew, like, this was the right time to act. Do you think he would have killed Mustang if she was there? Yeah, I do. So I'm glad she wasn't there, although... I know. We also need to go back and talk about that. Okay, and then, so who wasn't there? There's so much to so, talk about. So, Severo wasn't there either, um, right? No. I don't think he was there, and I was really glad for Herb. Was he... I think he might be. I'm, I'm like, I'm curious to see how he reacts to his dad's death because they had such a weird relationship. Oh no, 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 he's not there. He's not there. They, Severo and Mustang are not there. Well, yeah, they had such a weird relationship. But I yeah. think that um, for all his insisting that like his dad was, you know, he, he called his dad a bunch of bad names. But I think underneath that, there had to be something there. Like, he had to there, care for There her. was some kind... I think they both cared for each other, but they didn't... I mean, it was kind of even, like, Mustang and her family a little bit. Maybe a little bit more extreme, but, like, I still feel like there was a sense of loyalty, at the very least, or something there. I just want to know why he felt... Why he didn't feel more love for his dad, because I, I, you would think that, like... I don't know, maybe he couldn't look at him because it reminded him too much of his wife. Like, maybe it was... They had a strained relationship because of the way his wife died. Or maybe also because of all the secrets. Like, if he... If he told him he was Aries. Kept his son, uh, you know, at arm's length the whole time. Maybe he didn't know why and he thought it was something, you know, or, you know, like, that just creates all kinds of issues. But I agree. I kind of want more of their backstory, even though he's gone. I bet we'll get it. It was interesting to hear, to hear all... There were a lot of backstories. Like, we also heard Augustus' backstory a little bit. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there were a lot of themes of like heads in boxes, like yeah. like the movie seven style. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I immediately thought of the movie seven and then I Should we go into a research? I thought of um, John the Baptist. That was my other kind of oh. research that I did. Do you want to go into that now? We can. Yeah. Okay. Um so I have real quick, I have a really big edit from our last Sec- bout of research from our last episode um just <laughs> something <laughs> i never verify my facts can we just assume that everything i say is 80 percent false probably <laughs> 
Oh no, I'm gonna believe everything you tell me. <laughs> but I was so I was listening to it when I was editing it, and I was like, oh no, I completely told that wrong. So it was when we were t- I was talking to you about the petticoat duels and those two women who were battling, and <laughs> I said that they to avoid infection if they if like clothing got into their wounds i said that they fought naked from the waist down yeah and i meant to say that they fought naked from the waist up (laughs) that's a little different i know i made it like so much more scandalous than it had to be (laughs) well it was more scandalous but it also kind of made more sense because i thought like the skirts and stuff were also like like it made more sense to me that like that would be an issue (laughs) and you'd like make up a reason for having to get rid of your petticoat but i was just imagining these women like porky pig style with like a shirt on and no pants no like no skirt just doing and i was just cracking myself up so i'm sorry that was entirely untrue (laughs) oh my goodness that's Uh, great um again everything i said is probably 80 percent false but i'm not you have to go figure it out for yourself (laughs) do your own research (laughs) i'll just plant these ideas in your head okay so yeah beheading Tell me about John the Baptist. Okay, so the first thing I did was reread the plot of Seven because that was the first thing I thought of as well. (laughs) Me too. But then I was kind of thinking, like, where else do people give heads as gifts? And (laughs) the story of John the Baptist that I, like, remember... (laughs) I do have a birthday coming up. (laughs) Here, growing up, I do not want any heads for gifts. Um, It was essentially John the Baptist back in the day. There was King Herod... And he had put him in prison, and John the Baptist was saying all this stuff because Herod had divorced his wife and taken um, the wife of his brother as his mistress. And mm. on his birthday, Herod's birthday, her daughter danced for him. Oh, Salome. And at the party. What? Salome. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I don't I should have looked up more, obviously. I, you know, I, I go partway. I go just enough. To pique your interest. I'll fill that in. There's an opera that is about that, and she does the dance. What kind? A space opera, a horse opera, or a regular opera? A lyric opera. (laughs) (laughs) And she does, like, the dance of the seven veils, and that's, like, a big big part of the opera. Anyway, continue. Okay, well, he, like, loved her dancing so much, he was like, whatever you want, I'll give you half my kingdom, just let me know. Like, that was awesome. That's a direct quote, I'm pretty sure. That, um, <laughs> that part wasn't in the opera. <laughs> she went over and asked her mom, you know, like, what should I ask for? And her mom said, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she went and requested that from King Herod, or I don't think he was an actual king. I think he was, um, like, a step below a king. But mm. essentially King Herod, and although he was, like, didn't really, really want to do it. He agreed and had John executed. Just because she wanted it. Just because he was, like, living up to his end of the bargain. Exactly. Oof. He's a man who keeps his word. But then I was reading about related feasts to John the Baptist, and I guess there are multiple findings of the head of St. John the Baptist. Oh, he had more than one head. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, like... Um, I guess according to church tradition, after he was executed initially, his disciples buried his head at Sebaste or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the, like, jealous mistress lady took the severed head and buried it in a dung pile. (laughs) Pile of dung. 
But there was a saint who was married to Herod Steward who secretly took the head from the dung pile and buried it on the Mount of Olives. And it was hidden there for like hundreds of years. Oh, wow. And then the property of the, on the Mount of Olives where the head was buried, like passed down and a government official who became a monk built a church there. And when he was digging the foundation, like he found a head, the head, they, they found the head. Um, but they were afraid that it was going to be abused by non-believers. So they hid it again. Oh my God. Okay? Can't he just rest? Yeah. So then the, the, that monk died and the church eventually fell into ruin and was destroyed and all this stuff. And then like, uh, again, later, like in the year 452, <laughs> supposedly, um, this is around the time of Constantine the Great, obviously. Oh, I knew that. There, <laughs> there are two monks who were going on pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem, and they started seeing visions of John the Baptist. And he, in the visions, he told them where his head was. So they went and they uncovered the relic, and they put it in a sack and started, you know, continued their journey. And along the way, they encountered a random potter, like person who makes pots. Mm-hmm. And they asked him to carry the bag for them without telling him what was in it. Oh, no. And then John the Baptist appeared to the potter and told him to run away from the careless monks and that, like, he had his head. So this guy (laughs) ran away and took the head with him. And then before his death, he put it in a container and gave it to his sister. Why? Oh, just for safekeeping? Or just like, hey, look what I found, sis? I guess so. And then I guess eventually... Like, that got passed on to someone who buried it in a cave. Oh, my God. And a monastery was built in its place. And then there's a second feast called the Third Finding of the Head of St. John the Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) And so the head was transferred to Kamana of Cappadocia (laughs) during Muslim raids in 820. And it was hidden in the ground. And, oh, when... During a time of iconoclastic persecution. So when they would persecute people who were, like, worshipping icons and stuff. Oh. And then when the veneration of icons was restored in the year 850, um, this random guy saw a vision of where St. John's head was, and he communicated this to the Emperor Michael III, who sent a delegation there. And when the head was found, it was transferred to... uh, It says New York City, but I don't think that's right. Oh no, maybe it's just pronounced. It came to right. Maybe it's just maybe it's just a place called NYC, like because it's a lowercase YC Nike. It was transferred to Nike <laughs> and placed in a church at the court. So okay, with all this transferring of the head that went on, that sounded mm-hmm. that sounded weird. I'm sorry. Um, but like, so why 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 were people so intent on hiding it? Like, it seems like they buried it and then they like put it in a box and they put that box in another box and then. Like, why? Well, I think they kept burying it and, like, building monasteries or churches over it. So I think that it was still, like, a relic and, like, blessed the area that it was. But I also think this was just, like, a time of a lot of religious turmoil. Like, it was kind of, I think it was their way of protecting the head. Okay. So they, everyone who it transferred to viewed it as something sacred. They weren't, like just given this head and they were like, well, what am I supposed to do with this now? No, they all, it sound. I mean, based on the stories that I just recounted, I think that they either had, you know, either John the Baptist was visitationing them and telling them what to do okay. or 
they recognized what they had wow. and like and we're careful. Because I think otherwise, it. there might have been like another three findings of the head, and people were just like, "Well, I'm going to leave this here," and they kept going. Who knows? Do you think that at some point, like someone put a fake head in there and kept it, kept the other one? Like, do you think the one that is they say now is John the Baptist's head actually was? I don't know. I mean, I mean, how would you know? But it's just it seems like after so many years and changing so many hands. I mean, I guess if you, if they really had the visions from him, though, like, I'm pretty sure he would know which one was real. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think it's kind of interesting because John the Baptist in general is kind of this symbol of, like, in Catholicism, he was, like, kind of right before Jesus and really was kind of like the final prophet or whatever Mm -hmm. who kind of set the stage for Jesus. And I I kind of think that's an interesting correlation of what's going on with Darrow and whatnot, like with John the Baptist being gone, who kind of, I mean, with Aries being gone, who kind of went before him, like, does this mean Darrow needs to like rise up and be the savior? Or does this mean, you know, I don't know. That is kind of a really interesting parallel because I mean, yeah, you'd think so. You'd think that like, Aries was the one who picked him, and he, you know, now that he's not there... It's not an exact parallel by any means, but just thinking about John the Baptist as, like, a precursor for Jesus, I kind of wonder if Aries is similarly a precursor. Although, also, what if he, like, like I said, what if it's not Darrow, even though he's been the main character so far? What if he's not the ultimate, like, you know, what if it is Severo, or what if it is... Who becomes the savior? Or who becomes... Yeah, or who really, like, becomes, like, the leader in this leader. new world. Because even Darrow says it a lot. He's more of a fighter than a leader, you know? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I have no idea. I uh, I kind of hope it is Severo, honestly, because I like that... He's my favorite. Oh, my God. Well, him and Ragnar. I love Ragnar. <laughs> I, like, I started to really like Ragnar, too. I love how he was, like, given a choice. Daryl gave him a choice to serve or to not serve, and he was just completely mystified by that. And he was, you know, he was, like, so ingrained to view the golds as gods and himself as inferior. Okay, wait, again. So he wasn't there either, right? He didn't die, and he didn't battle. Like, because if he was there, he would have done some damage. Um... But it seems weird that Severo and Ragnar both left Darrow, even if it was with allies, because they've always been, like, extremely protective. That's true. That's true. But didn't Darrow, um, wasn't that when he, like, threw himself? No, no, no. I'm mixing did, up. Did he send them after Mustang or something? I'm trying to remember. I know. It's, it's, been, it's been a whole day since I finished reading this, so obviously I I've forgotten everything. And I only, I read it in, like, four days, so I should remember, but... There was just so much going on. I read it all on Sunday, which is also why I think I'm, like, mixing some things up a little bit, but that's okay. I couldn't put it down, and the puppy was being so cute and snuggling with me while I read it. Oh my goodness, I was listening to him when I was editing, and it, like, his little voice on the audio, (laughs) it sounds like a little bird chirping. Like, he was so bad last time, I think. He was so cute, though. Okay, here's the funny thing, though. Okay. So I like to get him toys that match him, and his favorite <laughs> toy right now is a little fox, because it's kind of the same coloring as him, so I keep pushing him to play with it. But then it was funny, because he was playing with the fox while I was reading about, um, what oh, was the fox's name? Like, um, Soflakis. Soflakis, yeah. Wait, yeah. the jelly beans? <laughs> yeah, and so then I wanted to give him jelly beans, but I did not do that. <laughs> My bet would be proud. Yeah, he would probably go to Sugar Shock, and then he would really be uh, yapping. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, um, 
So I really liked the end when Roke betrays Darrow. I did I did see it coming, I have to say. Um, and I, I saw it coming, but I didn't see it coming, like, that he would be involved in that big of... I didn't see, like, how big of a... Betrayal. Like, all those people would die, and then it would be such a public thing. And, like, I kind of thought that he'd betray him, like, kind of, like, tactist it, or whatever his name was. Or... Oh. Not, like, that, like, underhanded, but, you know, more of, like, a inconvenience, but they can kind of readjust, and then they'll see each other down the road. Not, like, a... Completely SOL. <laughs> Cold heart. <laughs> oh, and I, and how he, um, it was kind of like Judas, because he kisses him, right? Right before he betrays yeah, him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there are a lot of biblical references a little bit. And also, um, it reminded me a little bit of, like, Roman history. I mean, there's a lot of that in here. Even just, like, all the names are pretty much Roman. But um, uh-huh. it's, it reminded me of the, uh, when Julius Caesar was assassinated. Because oh yeah, Bru- yeah, because like Brutus was one of his best friends. E two E two Brute. Although that okay, so that is like debated about whether or not he actually said that. They don't really know what his last words were. But also, like one of the lead guys. Well, if we know where John the Baptist's head is buried, I'm pretty sure we, <laughs> we should, should know. be able to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the guy. I forgot that the one of the lead guys who planned the assassination was called Cassius. Oh, yeah. Which, like, was a great connection. Okay. Can I also say, though, for part of this book, I was like, where the hell did Cassius go? Again. <laughs> <laughs> like, there needs to be a second series, which is just all from Cassius's point of view, and we find out, like, all this other stuff that was going on. A spinoff series that's just called Where's yeah. Cassius? <laughs> yeah. Where in the world is Cassius? <laughs> I would read that. Day. Bologna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that kind of it reminded me a lot about that assassination. And also, I didn't realize this, but I was just reading a little bit about Julius Caesar's assassination. There were 60 men who participated in his assassination. And by the time... I just can't believe they could plan that and keep it secret. Well, and, and no, it was like mainly the th- these three men who planned it, but then... During the actual assassination, 60 men joined in to, to bring him down, and he was stabbed over 23 times. It's crazy. I know. It's just, it's completely not so. But that's another one of those examples, I think, of people seizing opportunity, like kind of being cowards, but seizing opportunity yeah. when it's there. Like, I'm sure most of those people just were like, oh, this is already happening. There's nothing I can do to stop it. Mob so mentality. I'm better off joining in. Yeah. Well, and also it reminds me of what happened to Pliny because in the book, not in the not in real life, but in the book, you know, Pliny's followers turn against him because he didn't he told them that Darrow was dead and then he just shows up and Darrow just like walks away and lets his friends finish him, which is really creepy, but okay, the other thing I was just I was just skimming the last chapter again and just to clarify, so Severo left and Darrow encouraged him to bring Ragnar with him because they hadn't heard from Fitchner yet. Oh, no. Because I was trying to remember. I was like, I remember Mustang never showed up when we were wondering, but I couldn't remember why they weren't there. So that was why. Well, I, rem- I knew why Mustang wasn't there. I mean, that's what I mean. I could remember yeah. Mustang, but I couldn't remember why Severo and Ragnar weren't there. That's sad. Well, also, there was a moment. But at least that means there's a team of people out there who, like, if you're going to have two people alive and not with you who might 
help you. Severo and Ragnar are the two to have. Absolutely. And maybe Mustang. Maybe. I don't... What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with her now that she's seen? You know, <laughs> now that she's not Aries. <laughs> well, she's not Aries and she knows he's red. I was a little upset with Mustang. I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed with her because I was, I mean, I get that she doesn't want to take part in anything that's going to bring down her family. But at the same time, like, she spouts all of these feelings about having a more just society. I mean, and, you know, she kind of led him to believe that she was sympathetic to the, um, you know, the Persephone movements. And I kind of think she just needs time to process, though. Like, I kind of feel like her initial reaction is negative. Yeah, I do, too. But because it to her, it probably came out of left field. Like, who would ever think that not only did a red become a gold, but it's, like, the boy she's in love with or whatever. Yeah, and also, like, there's the withholding aspect, right? So I would be yeah. really upset if someone didn't tell me it's such a big part of their, who they were. Yeah, although that's what he was trying to do at the same time, but, you know. Yeah, I know. That was a that was a sad but good scene I thought with his mom though too. I'm glad that we had that moment with that with her. Yeah. And I thought it was sweet. I mean, even though it doesn't seem realistic, I thought it was sweet that when he he's so afraid that she wouldn't know him because he's so different and as soon as he walks in, she says, "No, I would I would know you anywhere." I really liked that. Well, but it, it also does seem like she knows a little bit more than she's letting on, right? Yeah. So if she knew anything about him going up there and, you know, like she knew he Seemed seemed to know he wasn't dead and wasn't there anymore. So you have to imagine that she was expecting some kind of, you know, big change. And then there's just a random gold downstairs, probably looking a little insecure. Like, it's not so yeah. crazy. And then doesn't she say something about, um, she tells him someone else died, but then she was like, I won't believe it until I see it or something like that. It was his uncle, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. His oh, uncle yeah. and his cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, they couldn't find the bodies or something. Right, yeah. right. So I kind of, well, you know, I kind of thought maybe it was his dad or his uncle. Like, I kind of wanted his uncle to be more involved, and maybe he's still Maybe he will be. I do think, though, that Mustang will come around, truly. She has has to either become like a Cassius, and she shows up again on the wrong side, or maybe she shows up again and helps him out, or maybe she shows up on the wrong side and then helps him out. Well, also at this point, like, who was there left for her to care about? Her Her brother killed her father. She doesn't have any other siblings left, I don't think. No, and we find out that her brother killed the other brother. Oh my gosh, I know. With her father's money. Which isn't shocking when you think about all the other stuff we know he's done, except that... Like, I'm not shocked by it, but it still was, like, like defying... It was kind of like what Aja did with Quinn. Yeah. By killing his dad, right? Yeah. It was sort of like... It's not out of character. I know I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to, and it's... Not out of character, but you got what you really came here for, which was Darrow. Mm-hmm. So does it really matter if I keep him alive or not? No, I'm going to like, yeah. you know, because I, I don't think he was supposed to kill the dad. Well, I, I don't right? think, no. She was saying, she was saying like, we need him. Yeah, yeah. He did that just completely on his own. And I mean, there wasn't, I mean, and there was a lot of that happening. Like when Lorne kills um, Tactus, do you remember that part? Wait, when Lorne kills who? Lorne. <clears throat> to Arcos. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in Oof. his uh, apartment or whatever when they attacked, yeah. when they got, he forgave him for attacking his grandkids. That part was so sad to me because I thought, well, here's what I thought was going to happen. 
um, when Darrow is like, no, come back and fight for me and I will forgive you and I'll forget this ever happened and we'll be friends again. And then he hugs him. I thought for sure Darrow was going to stab him in the back. Like, when he was hugging him. Oh, I thought he was going to come back and that Roke, it would push Roke even further away. Oh. Anyway, I did, uh, well, I did not expect Warren to stab him, but I thought it was kind of sad when afterwards he was like, I shouldn't have killed him. But also really powerful, because it was way late, not way later, but, like, it wasn't right no, after. No, no. several battles after. <laughs> right, and it was kind of like, he's such an old, wise man, and even he still had something to learn. That Darrow got like so intuitively, which I, and I think it's it's was really beautiful that he knew that golds can change; they just have to be given a chance. And if they don't give the golds a chance to change, like there's no point in fighting this war. No, yeah, that was a really powerful scene, Lauren. I actually, as much as I was like, well, where did this guy come from, and why should I care about him? I thought he represented a really cool, like, version of, you know, like, with isolationism and some mm-hmm. of his other, like, idealism, but also kind of giving up on it. Like, an old school, but still unhappy with the way of the world. View. Like, I, I like how there's been all these kind of different, like, this is how the world should be and why. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily completely disagree with anyone, except that, like... Some of them take it to an extreme that doesn't actually work in real life. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and Lauren's view is so bleak. But, like, I understand where they all come from. To some For extent. sure. And, and But I think Lauren's view, worldview is so bleak, he just thinks that the society is dead and there's nothing worth changing. So he just isolates himself from everything and, like, pretends like it's not happening. But he must have done a ton – I mean, it sounds like he's done a ton of other stuff beforehand yeah. and he kind of came around. What about um, when – uh, during the Iron Rain attack, whatever, <laughs> and he gave Darrow gave razors to Ragnar and the other obsidians. I loved that. And like Whistle and Clown's reaction to that, or not Whistle? What's Pebble? Clown and what was the other one there? Yeah, I don't know why I said Whistle. That's <laughs> just what came to mind. <laughs> they all have like an inanimate object <laughs> names. Um, yeah, I I liked that because it was um, it revealed like a little bit of just prejudiceness that won't die because yeah. they're even though they are fighting on Darrow's side. I mean, I guess they don't really know what Darrow's fighting for. Like they think he's trying to fight for, you know, to end this corrupt sovereign when he's really fighting to like end the color hi- hierarchy. So maybe if they knew what he was really fighting for, they wouldn't be on his side. But I also thought it was interesting. Sorry, you can finish. No, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I just think that whole prejudice against the stains, I don't know. It really sets Darrow apart that he is already trying to bridge the gap between the colors and, you know, kind of give give power to those who don't have any. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I also thought it was interesting. I feel like Severo trusts Darrow 100%. Also knows what he's actually fighting for, but even before that, like, follows Darrow. I feel like... But did he tell his Howlers? I feel like the Howlers follow Severo in a similar way. Yeah. But I don't think the Howlers know what he's fighting for. No, I don't think they do, but I think that they trust Severo. Like, I feel like it wasn't when Darrow said, this is what we should do, it was when Severo said, like, hey, guys. Yeah. This is what we want to do. And again, I don't know. I kind of want Severo to, like, rise up more. I think he will now that he's dead. He's, like, my literary crush in this book. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I can't crush on any of these people because they're too young for me. I need a young adult <laughs> character who's my age. 
Who's not like Augustus well, at least, or Fitchner. <laughs> <laughs> at least they're like in their 20s. Probably in the next book, they'll be like 80 just because of how the time changes. Oh, that's true. Finally, someone close enough to my age. Um, yeah, no, I think that his dad's death is going to do something to Severo and like it's going to unleash some kind of spark in him. Yeah. I think it would be interesting, though, if it affects because so basically everyone who's been loyal to Darrow has gone through something where they haven't been, you know, like Mustang is struggling right now. Um, Roke, obviously, mm-hmm. to, you know, so I'm kind of int- curious if Severo will ever have a moment like that, even if he ultimately chooses to still follow Darrow or there's like a reshifting of something. Um, I'm curious if this would be kind of a spark for something like that, for him to really question if Darrow knows what he's doing. And Oh, you mean it might... Well, yeah, because he essentially got his father killed. I, yeah. I mean, it's like... Another big theme is, like, friends or family. Like, a lot of these people are having to choose between their family and, um, you know, what they believe in, which, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty tough. And I don't, I don't... And a lot of them are choosing something even more simple than that. Like... To your point, a lot of them don't even know what they're fighting for and wouldn't necessarily believe in the cause or be willing to die for that cause, but they believe in something with their friend relationship. You know, like there's something yes. almost simpler than any belief. Well, it's loyalty, but it's like, yeah, who are, who do you want to be loyal to? And there's so many people who are just going back and changing their loyalty back and forth, like just to get what they want. So I really liked the Iron Rain a lot. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool to see, like, in real life? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it'd be really terrifying. <laughs> like, not in real life, real life, but, like, in a movie. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, in a like, movie. Like, visually, yes. like, I had so many cool, like, things in my head during that. that no, I wouldn't want to, like, participate okay. or be on the ground. Yeah. Um, that would definitely be, if I had to pick a scene that I want to see out of these books, I, I would want to see the Iron Rain. But... So it made me want to do a little bit of research on... I was like, what? This is such a cool military tactic. And I loved how there was like a ceremony before it when he declared Iron Rain and they all painted their faces and they all had this like very um, ceremonial kind of process to declaring Iron mm-hmm. Rain. And I also just thought it was a really cool battle strategy where you're like hovering outside of some planet's atmosphere and then you drop, you like drop your soldiers in by... By surprise, that's essentially what it was, right? Yeah. So, and when I was researching, I did a, a quick search on like crazy battle tactics throughout history. Is that what you googled? That's what I googled. That's what I read <laughs> on Wikipedia this week. Was like bizarre battle tactics that actually worked. <laughs> and um, the best one that I found was in fifth. Nope. In uh, five twenty five BC, Cambyses. Chem- Cambyses of the second of Persia was fighting the Egyptians in the Battle of Pelusium. And of course, <laughs> this guy was really smart because he he had a really in-depth understanding of Egyptian culture and he used it against them. So he was trying to breach the walls of the city and capture the pharaoh to, um, you know, kind of take over Egypt and... <laughs> He knew that the Egyptians worshipped cats because, um, I guess, cat, well, cats were associated with the goddess uh, Bast or um, okay. Bastet. 
Bastet, who was the Egyptian goddess who had the body of a woman and the head of a cat. And in Egyptian culture back then, injuring one of Bast's cats would greatly offend the goddess, so much that the penalty for injuring a cat in Egyptian society was um, death. It was a crime punishable by death. Wow. So, And in fact, they also said that like, if Egyptian houses were on fire, people would rescue the cats before the people. Oh my goodness. I don't even like cats. I mean, like, I don't dislike cats, but I'm, but like, like. <laughs> I'm not a cat person either. I mean, I would save one from a burning building, but like, I mean, yeah, but after I saved, like, the people, um, you know, <laughs> and the dogs, and maybe the fish. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because I think if I tried to save a cat, the cat would look at me and be like, are you serious? And then, like, go off on its own. Like, I just don't understand that. I feel like a cat, yeah. A cat, like, you would go and try and save the cat, and the cat would scratch your face. <laughs> like, that's what would happen. Yeah. The only cat I like is Lucy. Like, in real life. The only one I've met who I don't... Dislike? Well, I mean, I guess I've met cats that I just have no opinion on. But, like, the only cat that I've met who, like, has won me over is Lucy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm the same way. I'm not really a huge cat person. So, okay, so... <laughs> Sorry. This guy... This so we shouldn't go to ancient Egypt. Okay. I mean, we could, but we just wouldn't fit in. <laughs> What's with the cats, guys? I would have a dog and I would dress it up like a cat to pretend like it was a cat. <laughs> Banjo could pull that off, I she think. She totally could. <laughs> um, so Cambyses the first of Persia knew that Egyptians really worshipped cats and he needed a way... Um, he knew he needed a way to breach their walls, so he ordered his men to paint cats on their shields, and he brought hundreds of cats into his front lines. And <laughs> the Egyptian archers, wouldn't they refused to fire on the cats because they were afraid that they would kill one, and the crime for killing a cat is death, so none of the archers fired on his army, and instead they all retreated, and they were massacred, and Cambyses II was able to breach the walls and capture the pharaoh. That's crazy. I know. That he shifted the paradigm, for sure. Yeah. Ta- yeah, talk about shifting the <laughs> paradigm. But it's just, I don't know, I thought that was, like, so clever because he used an evil because he, like, took this... For, for some reason, that seems like something Adelina would do. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because you take this, like, sacred thing. Like, it is a sacred creature to them. And you put them in the line of battle, like, it's, oh, I mean, it's a bold move. Yeah. But the other, um, quickly, the other battle tactics that... Bizarre battle tactics. Bizarre tactic battle tactics. So I guess um, Genghis Khan, this was actually super smart. So to frighten his enemies, he would just, this is so simple, he would just light extra campfires. And he would frighten his enemies into thinking that his army was a lot bigger than it was. Oh, and, that is smart. Yeah, and so they would just see, like, all these campfires set around the countryside, and they would freak out and just, like, surrender. And really, he was just, I, like, setting random campfires. I'm so intrigued by, like, I think in another life I could have been a uh, war general. Oh, maybe you... Except, except that, like, I pass out at the sight of blood. But, like, minus <laughs> that small problem, I totally would enjoy that, I think. Maybe you were one in another life. Maybe and I that's was. why you like it so much. I mean, I was clearly a detective in another life. Definitely. <laughs> but never a cat lover. <laughs> no. Never in ancient Egypt. 
Um, okay, the last crazy battle, battle tactic that was used was um, King Gojian of the Kingdom of Yue. Um, he was a Chinese king from 496 to 465 BC. And his battle strategy, um, his army was known for scaring his enemies before battle because he would um, fill his front line with criminals who were sentenced to death. And he would order them to commit suicide by decapitating themselves. Oh. Yeah. And, well, there's some debate over whether they were criminals sentenced to death or or if they were warriors who were willing to die, soldiers willing to die. But... Anyway, like, could you imagine you're lining up for this battle and the whole front line of your opposing army just cuts off their heads? Yeah, but also I can imagine, like, in bat, if I went to battle and I was supposed to cut off my own head, I feel like I would <laughs> see if I could get away with not doing that. Me too. I, yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> and that is so terrifying. No, that's, that's, no, I cannot imagine. Also, you know, I pass out at the side of blood, so I cannot imagine that. And then think about where all those heads have been buried and how many times they've been found. I mean, one might have been John the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> or a different... There's other people beheaded. It's yeah. just also such a great show of, like, this is how many people I have that I can afford to lose my entire front line. I can kill my own... I can have my own people. I can kill my own soldiers. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that would be incredibly intimidating. And also extremely confusing. I'd be like... <laughs> yeah. Wait, I thought I was supposed to do that. Hey, thanks for doing my job. Why am I here then? Yeah. (laughs) Should I just go home? I could have taken the day off. (laughs) You have my shift. (laughs) Are we done here? We're done here, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm curious to see if Aerie's head comes back in the third book. (laughs) What happened to Cassius? Or Fitchner's head. Yeah. Same difference. Um, If Mustang ends up getting her act together... If Severo really becomes more important than Darrow in the long run. And if Roke makes up for his sins. Also, I'm kind of sad about Victra. I know I like, I kind of, is she dead? I don't, I don't know if she's, I mean, isn't she? Because she was like stabbed in the I the, I think the last sentence I read about her was like the life draining from her eyes or something, or her eyes I mean, she she says something to him like, I had no idea. Like, I feel like it was like her final words. But to be fair, it wasn't like, like, maybe she's just incredibly um, wounded. Wounded. <laughs> I mean, <they're... laughs> and somehow uh, orange or white or whatever color it is. Orange, right? Yellow. No, not orange. Yellow. Yeah. Us. We're the yellow. We're the doctors. Maybe we'll save her. Maybe we'll save her. I hope we see more of our people. We haven't really seen many yellows yet. No, because it's more fun if there's no one who knows how to save someone in a battle. That's true, I guess. Who else have we not really seen? We haven't seen a lot of greens. No. We haven't seen a lot of copper. Or whites, really. We saw whites briefly during the Iron Rain ceremony, but... Yeah, that's true. Um, we, and we haven't seen very many reds outside of the mine, to be honest. That's true. Um, so, I don't know. Hopefully we'll... I bet we'll get to meet more. Because, I mean, even already in this book, we met some more colors. So, keep them coming. Yeah. Except there can't be... I mean, there can be, but... Who's going to be in the next... Like, we just killed off half the people, so there's got to be another, like, you know, secret Lorne guy who's been important the whole time and we've never heard of. I'm sure Daryl has many more secrets that he's going to reveal to us in due time. At the end, he's going to reveal that he knew who Ares was the whole time and that him and Mustang secretly got married in the middle of the forest in the first... And they have three kids now. Uh, <laughs> but here, here, here's the thing that I don't get now. Augustus is... 
taken out. So now, what is Octavia fighting against? Is she just fighting against Darrow now at this point? Yeah. Okay. Because he's become a symbol for... Well, she wanted Augustus, too, originally. Right. But Darrow's probably more of a symbol, again, because he was really the face of everything. You know, he, like, really, really, really defied her. Yeah. Okay. I think. I don't know. It's just always... But also, I kind of agree with... I feel like it happened at some point in this book, where they were like, we just need to kill people. Like, let's not, like, have a whole debate. Like, let's just... (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I were on the other side, I would have killed Darrow there, even though I'm glad... They didn't kill him there. Yeah, I agree. But I guess the fear would be that kind of they would just think he disappeared. Like, they wouldn't necessarily believe it, and then he could just be a symbol. I guess so. But I guess you could still film it, or I don't know. I just, like, there's a whole third book. I have a feeling. (laughs) Unless Darrow really does die and Severo becomes, maybe... Maybe that's what happened. But then you'd have to switch the narrator. I don't know. No, I honestly do think that Darrow's going to die at the end of this, because... At the end of the third book, or at the at, like right now, I think he's going to get out of this situation. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think he's going to die at okay. the end of the third book, though, because he also said, um, like the Achilles metaphor came back. There was like a whole chapter called Achilles. Yeah, that's true. And he, I think it was Lorne who was like, Achilles wasn't a hero; he was a warning because yeah. he let pride get the best of him, and he it, he died for it. And Daryl has always said, like. Pride is the one, it's like his Achilles heel, essentially, because he, he even has that moment when he's reflecting on how he um, humiliated Cassius's family at the gala, and he is reflecting on it, and he's like, I think that there is something in me that is wrong, and I almost think that if Cassius, he was like, if, if I was a gold, I would be worse than Cassius. And if Cassius was in my position, he would be a better man. He'd be better, yeah. And it's all down to pride. You know what I think is going to happen? Because I think someone critical, someone critical even at this point who's not already dead has to die. I think somehow Darrow's going to make a decision that kills Mustang and have to live with that. Ooh. That's what I think. So you think Mustang and Darrow are going to die? There's going to be no one left. No, I think that, I think, no, I think Darrow's going to have to live with having made a decision that kills Mustang. Oh, 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 That's what I think, instead of him dying. But who knows? Speaking of, so next week we will read the first half of book three. Which is called Morning Star. Morning Star. That sounds very optimistic, doesn't it? I mean, we have Midnight Star in The Young Elites. Yeah, but Morning Star means we have to get through the whole night. <laughs> Just saying. And in these books, a lot, a lot can happen in a single night. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's your turn to read the back of the book. Okay, so I have a hardback, so there's actually nothing on the back, so I'm going to read the inside flat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Darrow would have lived in peace, but his enemies brought him war. The gold overlords demanded his obedience, hanged his wife, and enslaved his people. But Darrow is determined to fight back. Risking everything to transform himself and breach gold society, Darrow has battled to survive the cutthroat rivalries that breed society's mightiest warriors, climbed the ranks, and waited patiently to unleash the revolution that will tear the hierarchy apart from within. Finally, the time has come. But devotion to honor and hunger for vengeance run deep on both sides. Darrow and his comrades in arms face powerful enemies without scruple or mercy. Among them are some Darrow once considered friends. To win, Darrow will need to inspire those shackled in darkness to break their chains, unmake the world their cruel masters have built, and claim a destiny too long denied and too glorious to surrender. 
That really didn't say much, except there's going to be more battles, and some of his friends are on the other side now. <laughs> more Iron Rain, maybe. Um, so let's read to part three, which okay. is titled Glory, for our next session. That sounds good. And you have to tell me a joke this week. I'm like suddenly really nervous. I don't know Oh, why. no. <laughs> you know I'm going to love it. Okay, well, so I was debating between telling you a joke or just telling you a dad story that's kind of like a dad joke that happened to me in real life. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the dad's story, and if it doesn't go over well, I'm going to tell you a joke. Great. Does that sound good? Yes. All right. So this just showed up on Facebook the other day, like in one of those, remember when? Mm-hmm. So I put, posted this on Facebook a few years ago. Um, my family, we were like trying to decide what we were doing for lunch, and my mom asked me what I wanted to eat. And I said, I'm going to have an enchilada, but I'm going to eat it later. And my dad goes, so you're going to have an enchilada? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and then proceeded, because he's like me, so he laughed at himself for a good, like, three minutes. And I laughed at him and then posted it on Facebook, and then he liked it immediately, because whenever I post anything to Facebook, of course. he gets a notification, like, on his watch and immediately likes it. It's, we call oh. him, like, it's funny. We call him out on it. That is amazing. I really like that. <laughs> I, need, I need to meet your dad. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't met him? Yeah, no. you do need to meet him. Yeah, the Invincialata master. <laughs> Thank you, Katie's dad, for that joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's welcome. But I really set him up for that. That you was did. a team effort. You, yeah, I mean, it was an easy easy uh, target. <laughs> I'll save my joke for a week when I don't have a good dad story. <laughs> All right. Well, I will. Anything else? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.